0: In the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John we will be in chapter 20 to start with, but uh, and we'll, I'm going to try to say it loud and proud so Miss Pam can jump around with me um, and I'll try to give her time to do that, but I'm not always good about that, so forgive me if I don't. But um, just in some discussions and some things that I've been encountering in the past week or two, uh, was a discussion that happened, and there was a question, and it wasn't somebody that, that, that didn't believe in the Bible, but um, it was just a, a question as we were thinking about something else that came up as we were trying to uh, write some things or produce some material to, to help other people grow in the Lord. How do we answer the question that someone may have when, if someone was to ask, why do we have the Bible? Why did God give us the Bible? And I think that's a legitimate question. God could have done things differently. God could have zapped our brains and made us know all the things He wanted us to know. God could have uh, just uh, made it purely an oral tradition and never had the Bible like we have it in written form. God could have done all manner of things, but He has chosen to give us His Word in this way. I think it's an important thing. God, again, God could have done it differently. In fact, there are some who would claim that he did or does do it differently. There are those who would say that, you know, yeah, we have the Bible, but the Bible's just a step in the revelation of God and that we're getting more revelation of God through people, uh, you know, and these are the kind of folks maybe that they would prophesy, and they would put their prophecies and things on the same level as God, or they would put their writings on the same level as God in His Word, the Bible. And I think uh, one of the kind of extreme examples I've seen was, um, uh, there was there's a group, and they're mostly centered uh, like East Tennessee and out that way, and they're called the Branhamites. And William Branham was the man that kind of founded the Branhamites. And the Branhamites are, are really uh, rightly called a cult, but they, they, if you just looked at them, they just kind of look like what you might think is a traditional, uh, fundamental church, right? If you just kind of flipped on and looked at what was going on in one of their services for a minute, that's kind of what you would think. But you come to find out, they take the writings of William Branham and they elevate them to the same level as Scripture, much like the Mormons do with the writings of Joseph Smith and others. And so, so this is an issue where people don't really have a good grasp of why we have the Bible and why we allow the Bible alone to be our authority for life, our authority for the church, our authority for um, the practice of our faith. And so um, I think this is an important discussion. Um, I want to look tonight at, in a couple of places where the Bible specifically tells us about itself. Uh, there's, there's many, many places we could go, and I'm just going to touch a few. And so this, may, this is not going to be an exhaustive study of this particular topic, but we are going to touch on a few places where the Bible, or at least a particular book of the Bible, gives us um, from the author of that particular book what their purpose was in writing um, th- that particular piece of the Scriptures. And so I want to look at that. Tonight, Because I think it's really important for us to understand that we, uh, as um, uh, one guy guy recently kind of made a slogan out of when they were having some arguments in a denominational group. And he kept saying, we have a book, right? God gave us a book. We have a book. And what he meant by that is we have an authority. We don't have to look elsewhere for it. We don't have to look to the culture for it. God gave us a book. He gave us his word. And so I want to begin tonight by reading uh, just a couple of verses in John chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 30 through 31. Now understand that the the context of this is specifically the gospel of John, but I think it's it's rightly applied because the similar sentiment is expressed elsewhere. It's rightly applied to the Bible as a whole as well. But here's what the apostle John says here in in the, towards the end of the book of John. He says this, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John writes here, and he tells us, if you want to uh, if, you, you know, if you ever had to write essays in school or you're a writer and uh, you hear someone talk about a thesis statement, right? This is the statement that kind of boils down what the author is trying to get across. This could rightly be called the thesis statement of the Gospel of John. John says this is the reason that this has been written, right? He said Jesus did a whole lot of other things, but th- that aren't written in this book, but these are written, why? So that you may believe. So the first reason that I would say that we could, we could rightly say that we, the reason that God gave us the Bible is that so we might believe. God gave us His Word so that through His Word, the power of the Spirit, we could believe on Him. Not just believe in anything, but believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that believing you may have life in His name. Isn't it interesting to think about the fact that the Gospels do not record everything that Jesus ever did? The Gospels are not a diary of daily entries from everything that happened in the life of Christ. In fact, at the very last verse of the Gospel of John, which will be John 21, 25, John tells us this. Right, That that Jesus did so much more. He says it again in kind of an extreme way. And here's what he says. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's what John says. And so I've preached in this area before. And I, I remembered that one time I did the math on this. And so I decided to try to do it again. Because when I read something like that, I think, man, I wonder, if John says the book, that the the whole world couldn't hold all the books, reckon how many books the world could hold? Now, that's a silly question you're probably thinking, but that's how my mind works, so indulge me for a moment. All right? So, here's how my math worked, and I've made some assumptions here. If you take the average size book, and you just kind of look at books, and there's different sizes of books, and you kind of take an average size book, what you can arrive at is, and and you may argue this with me, but this was where I worked from, that approximately laying flat on the ground, within a square foot, you could put three books of varying sizes, okay? You might cram more, it might be less, but I thought three was a good number. If you laid them down and they were laying flat, not laying on top of each other, you could put three books in a square foot. So that's what I started from. And then I figured out, once I started doing the math, that within a square mile, you could get approximately 83,635,200 books laying flat one layer deep in a square mile, all right? But why stop there, right? Why would you? I wouldn't. I'm not gonna. So if you really want to get into it, there's 57,500,000 square miles of dry land on the earth. Now do the math on that. Multiply that, those two numbers together, and here's the number you get. 48 quadrillion... 90 trillion 240 billion books, if you just stacked them one layer deep uh, around the world. And if you want to stack them higher than that, you got to start multiplying that out too. Now, I understand that John was speaking in a way just to, uh, to, to, to bring to us the magnitude of all that Christ had done, but I think when you think about it like that, for me, it brings it, brings it even more clearly into focus that Jesus did a whole lot of other things that we have no record of that were amazing, that were miraculous, that were uh, worthy of who he is and all that he has done and, and, and worthy of, of just uh, him as God in the flesh. And yet God in his will chose to only give us in writing some of those things. Why? Well, he did it because the writings of the scriptures are aimed at... The glory of God, yes, but aimed at the fact that that we could understand what we needed to understand through the power of the Spirit and His Word in order that we could believe unto salvation. That's one of the main purposes of the Scripture, that we would have this so that we could believe. We have the gospel. We have the realities of salvation through repentance and faith. We have what we need in order to believe. So that's one reason that we have that. For those of us who know not Christ, who knew not Christ, it was written so that we might believe. But the Bible goes on. The the John elsewhere says this in 1 John. He tells us in, in 1 John 5 and 13 something for those who are already believers. That there's a purpose that the Bible has for those who are already believers. In the context of 1 John. Sorry, I'm kicking around a piece of notebook paper. In in the context of First John, he tells us there in First John five. I turned to the wrong thing. First John five and thirteen is where I'm going if I can get there. I told you I was moving around. I got a lot of bookmarks. First John five thirteen says this: These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Why did God give us the Bible? Well, He gave it to us so that we might believe, but He also gave it to us that once we believe that we have the Bible, in order that we might know, that we might have assurance, that we might have a a standard by which to measure ourselves to see whether or not we truly have believed. That's That's what John says here. He says, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The Bible is written in part that those of us who believe might have full assurance of our standing with God in Christ. I don't think we realize that enough. Sometimes we think about the Bible as just it's it's supposed to just Uh, slap us around and convict us. And in some sense, that's true in many ways. But the Bible is there so that when we read it and we do examine ourselves and we're seeking to live, not perfectly, but we're seeking to live as the Bible says, knowing that we fall short at times, that we can have assurance. The Bible gives us the substance of our faith and the means by which to examine our faith. It It is a lost... Uh, art I guess you would say or a, a lost practice for those who are believers to examine themselves I don't think we do that enough I don't think we should constantly be full of doubt but I think we should be constantly examining the apostle Paul talks about doing it examining himself to see whether or not he's in the faith the Bible gives us a standard by which to examine ourselves. James calls it a mirror, right? He calls the Word of God a mirror that we can look into it and it will show us who we really are. But He's given it to us also that we might have great assurance that if we know Christ, that if we are in Him, that our standing is secure. We don't have to wonder if we've done enough. We don't have to wonder if we've got more good on the side of the scales than we have bad. We look and we understand that Christ has lived perfectly. Christ has died for our sin. And yes, we have a standard by which to live, but we can have assurance in him and in him alone. And so the Bible is written to us to, so that we might believe. God has given us the Bible for that purpose and also that we might have Assurance through His Word. Well, part of that, and maybe kind of coming off this idea of assurance, but um, probably another uh, category, you might say, is that the Bible also is given to us so that we might know how to live. Second Timothy 3, starting in verse 15, 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 15 tells us this. Many of you will be familiar with this passage. 15 through 17 is where I'll be. It says, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So again, there's the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise, the same thing we talked about, so that we might believe, right? But then he goes on to tell us more about the Scriptures. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God... Some of your translations say God-breathed, and I like that better. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Bible makes us wise for salvation, again, that we might believe, but it, it also tells us here what the origin of the Scriptures are. They don't originate with man They don't originate in the mind and the heart of man. They originate in the mind and the heart of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or all Scripture is breathed out by God. That's a more literal translation of that passage. It's breathed out by God. It is His Word. It's from Him. It's about Him. It's His standard, not ours. It's His ideas, not ours. And so we have the origins of the Scriptures But he also tells us what the Scriptures can do. It tells us how to live. It's profitable for doctrine or teaching, some of your translations will say. So the Bible teaches us how to live. But the Bible also rebukes us when we're wrong, right? For correction or for rebuke. The Bible tells us how to live, but the Bible also tells us how not to live or corrects us when we're wrong. The Bible also equips us for more obedience, right? Instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible tells us about itself that it's number one, it comes directly from God, that it is profitable for teaching to instruct us. The Bible is not a, a cafeteria line where we take what we want and walk away from the rest. It is a it is a whole body of work that we are accountable to, not because it's a pretty book with words on the page, but because it has come to us from God. All right, so we can't we can't we can't waver back and forth on that. We can't act as if that some of the Bible doesn't exist and, and just hone in on the things that we like. The Bible tells us, instructs us how to live, and then the thing that, again, we, I've already said it, but the thing that we don't like to think about is that the Bible does correct us when we're wrong. I think we've got to recognize that correction or rebuke is a good, godly, and loving thing. Sometimes the Word of God rebukes us, corrects us, just when we read it. We're reading it, And through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God, we are convicted that we have not been living as God has said, and we are moved to repent and change the way that we're living. Sometimes it's somebody is teaching us the Word of God, whether it's in church or a church service or in Sunday school, or maybe it's just somebody that you're having a good conversation with about the Bible, and they tell you something and show you in the Bible uh, how, how that's the truth. And you're able to take that and, and, and really be corrected by the Word of God. Sometimes it's because we've drifted way off into sin and a brother or sister in Christ comes to us, loves us enough to sit down and say, you are in, you are in sin, you're headed further into sin, and you've got to turn back, and here's why. Because this is what God has to say. The Bible is useful for rebuke. And again, it is to equip us for every good work. The Bible is not just a book of knowledge that it's really neat if we know, know all the facts about. It's good to have it. To know these things. It's good to know, the, uh, know how these things connect. It's good to know how this connects with, with this passage, connects with this passage. It's good to, to put together a, a, the, a systematic understanding of the Word of God from beginning to end. Those are all good things. It's good to be able to say every book of the Bible from, the, from Genesis to Revelation. I can't do it, but a couple of my kids can. All right? That's a good thing. It's good to have that knowledge. But just having the knowledge is not enough. We are to know more of what the Bible says so that we can be equipped for every good work. We don't just know things to know it. We know it so that we might live and we might operate in the way that God wants us to operate. Whether that's as an individual. God tells us how we're to live in our lives individually. He equips us to live. He also is, is the one who sets the standard for the church and equips us to live as a body in obedience to Christ who is our head. And so the Bible does all of those things. It equips us, rebukes us, instructs us. We know a, a more poetic way of saying this comes to us from Psalm 119, right? Verse 105. Many of you all know that passage. It says that the, that, that the Word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In fact, if you want to really just read a huge piece of Scripture that just talks all about the Word of God, read Psalm 119. It's the, lo- it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and really from beginning to end, it is describing the beauty, the power, the glory of God's Word. If you just read it over and over and over again, it brings us that kind of truth. In Psalm 119.9, as we talk about living uh, in the way that the Bible instructs us, the Bible says this, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. The Bible tells us about itself that we are to live in obedience to it. That's how we, we please God. That's how we, uh, that's, that's that's how we live according to His will. We know His will because He has told us His will and His word. Now, I understand that there are times in your life where you can't specifically say, well, you know, the, you know, the book of Galatians told me to buy the red card instead of the blue one. Okay, I understand that. But you can come to God prayerfully asking for leadership, asking for guidance, and walk forward in faith knowing that you've done what you can do seeking the wisdom of God. And so every piece of life is to be submitted to the instruction, to the teaching of God because he says his word is for that. Why do we have the Bible? So that we might believe. Why did God give us the Bible? So that we might have assurance. Why did God give us the Bible? So we might know how to live. Now, in having this discussion and bringing up certain places and references You know, there is um, temptation in New Testament Christianity to kind of wash our hands of the Old Testament sometimes. All right, There's a famous preacher, um, I'm not afraid to say his name, Andy Stanley, who recently, the last couple of years, famously said, we've just got to unhitch from the Old Testament, just leave it alone. We better be careful with that because that's not what God says. That's not what even the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament as it relates to the Old. The law has a purpose. It's not just the account of what Israel did. The law of God has a purpose. And the book of Romans really unpacks that for us. As we're thinking about the Bible and why God gave it to us, we need to make sure that we're talking about all of the Bible, not just the New Testament. Romans chapter 7 beginning in verse 7, really tells us, I think it's one of the best summaries we have of the purpose of the law, the purpose of the Old Testament for the Christian. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, Produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. What is the purpose of the law of God it is to show us that in no way shape form or fashion do we meet the revealed standard of God you if you want to boil it down to the 10 commandments there's not one of us in here that could say that we've even kept those Right, but, and, and I know we can get into all the distinctions about the ceremonial law that was fulfilled in Christ and all of those things, but the moral law of God is still in effect. God has said this is what it means to live in accordance with my word and my will, and we're accountable to that. If we lie, we're liars according to God. If we murder, we're murderers according to God. If we commit adultery, we're adulterers according to God, not by the shifting sands of men. Because those definitions have changed and shifted and are changing and are shifting. So we cannot set aside one whole piece, even the, the vast majority of the written word of God, because we say, well, I don't really like the way that Old Testament God acts. I don't like the fact that he told him to go into Jericho and kill every living thing. I don't like the fact that, that, you know, that God did this and God did that. I don't like the fact that, that God wiped out all the humanity except one family. I'm going to tell you that the Bible's not there for us to like. It's there for us to obey and, and to know more of who God is. And so the purpose of the law was to give, the law was given to show us our need for Christ. We must preach the law of God so that people can, can be, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have their sin, sickness diagnosed and look to him who is the only cure for the sickness. Don't dispense with the Old Testament. It points us to our need for Christ. It points us to the reality that we cannot meet the righteous requirements of God, but that there is one who has. Jesus has fulfilled the law. He lived perfectly according to the Word of God. And so, the bottom line, I would say, if you want to wrap all of those things that we might that we've been given the Bible that we might believe, that we might have assurance, that we might know how to live. I think you could rightly encompass all that in that the Bible is given to us so that we might know God better, that we might know the heart of God, the desire of God. We might know the will of God. People say, how do I know the will of God? Read the Bible. (laughs) Well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, okay. Does the Bible have something to say about it? I bet it does. More often than not, more often than we care to admit. There's a quotation that, and I don't remember who said it originally, but I've said it several times in my life, but people always want a word from the Lord, right? Well, We've been given the word of the Lord. My friend used to say, if you want to hear God speak read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read the Bible out loud. I believe that should be our conviction about the Word of God. Again, I understand that God can guide us in ways in our decision making in life. I I know that. But He will never guide us in a way to live that runs against what He has given us in His Word. I have had people more people than I care to mention to come to me and say, I think God wants me to do Fill in the blank. And I'll say, I don't think he did. And i say, well, you can't tell me what God said to me. Well, I can tell you that God specifically says in his word, don't do that. So he's not going to tell you that you get a free pass and you get to do that. So the Bible's given to us for so the purpose of us to know God better, that we might live to His glory, that we might know Him more, that we might believe on Him and have assurance of it, we can live in obedience to His Word. Not not just for our sake, it's surely in part for our sake, but it is for His glory and that His kingdom might expand in this world as we carry out the commands of Christ. And so I hope tonight maybe I've given you something to think about. Somebody starts asking questions of the Bible. I mean, there are things we can go into about... Just the the wonderful proofs that we have of the legitimacy of the Word of God, of the accuracy of the Word of God, and the, the historical things that are all proved out that are from the Word of God. But it boils down to this. God wrote a book. And He wants His people to know Him better. And this is what He has given us that we might read it and through the power of the Spirit understand it and live according to it for His glory and honor that His kingdom may expand. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your word, truly. And I pray that we would cherish it more. I pray that we would not take for granted the, what it cost our forefathers in the faith that we might all, down to the individual man, woman, and child, have the ability to have the word of God in our hands for ourselves It is a book that is baptized in the blood of your people because they saw, Lord, that it was your book. And they saw that it was necessary for every believer to be able to try to read and understand it for themselves. So, Lord, help us not take it for granted because we know there are those believers in other places that don't all have a Bible in their language. Let us pray for them and seek to help in the efforts that are trying to remedy that evil. But Lord, help us to cherish your word and seek to live according to it because you've given us a book and we're so truly grateful for it. In Christ's name, amen and amen.